everyone, and thank you very much for joining us for our Herbert Smith Freehills Asia Competition Law podcast series, Unbundling Competition. This is the second of our three-part series on recent developments in competition law in Southeast Asia. My name's Adelaide Luke, and I'm a partner based in Hong Kong, leading the Herbert Smith Freehills Competition Regulation and Trade Team here in Asia. I'm joined today from Jakarta by Yuki, who is a partner at HBT, our association firm in Indonesia. Yuki leads the competition practice at HBT, and today I'm going to be speaking with her about some recent and ongoing developments in Indonesian competition law. Yuki, perhaps we can start by sketching out an overview of the Indonesian competition law system as it currently stands. I know that Indonesia was one of the first wave of countries in Southeast Asia to introduce competition law after the Asia financial crisis. So it's got one of the older competition law regimes in the region. How has the law and the authority in Indonesia developed during that time? Um, Thanks, Adelaide. Uh, As you mentioned, the Indonesian competition law was uh, introduced in uh, 1999, so it has been enforced for uh, around 20 years now. The authority that oversees the competition law in Indonesia is the Indonesian Competition Commission, or KPPU, as we call it. The KPPU has both investigative and adjudicative powers. Uh, It is responsible directly to the president, which gives it independence from other government ministries. In terms of enforcement, uh, KPPU has become perhaps one of the most active competition authorities in the Southeast Asia. Over the past 20 years, KPPU has issued more than 300 decisions and has also issued more than 200 opinions on merger control filing. Until last week, the competition law had never been amended since it was first enacted in 1999. However, just last week, the job creation law, uh, commonly known as the omnibus law, was was passed by the national parliament with the purpose of attracting more investment to Indonesia and improving the ease of doing business in Indonesia. The omnibus law amends around 78 laws Uh, including the competition law. The changes to the competition law in the omnibus law relate to the appeal process and sanctions. On the appeal process, jurisdiction over uh, appeal against KPPU decisions uh, is moved from the district court to the commercial court, which is seen as better able to deal with economic issues raised by competition cases. On sanctions, previously the competition law included various criminal sanctions for infringements of the competition law. The omnibus law removed all criminal sanctions except for hampering and investigation uh, or examination process. Uh, On the other hand, the omnibus law removed the upper limit of fine for infringement, which was previously kept at 25 billion rupiah, uh, about 1.7 million US dollars. 
it is unclear on why the omnibus law removed the upper limit of fine, which seems to contradict the main purpose of the law, which is a, to attract more investment uh, to Indonesia. In addition, the KPPU has periodically updated regulation and guidelines. In this case, uh, also in the last week, uh, the KPPU issued uh, a new merger control guideline. As you may be aware, the KPPU issued a new merger control regulation last year, which introduced, for example, uh, asset acquisition as a type of transaction potentially needing notification under the merger control regime. Uh, the use of worldwide uh, aspects in calculating whether the filing thresholds are met, and also a new test for uh, foreign-to-foreign -foreign transaction from notification. Uh, the new merger control guidelines now provide clarification of matters that were not sufficiently elaborated under the previous regulation. Thanks very much, Yuki. It's very interesting. Uh, I have to say I'm a little bit surprised to hear that these changes have been made to the competition law because for, for a long time my understanding has been that Indonesia has been looking at enacting an entirely new law and that there's been draft legislation available for some time. So, so what's happening with that process? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right that this has been considered for some time. Uh, there have been several drafts issued in the past, uh, most recently in December 2018. Yeah, uh, at, at, at the moment, uh, we are still waiting for the issuance of the new competition law. Um, the discussion of the new competition law was included in the list of priorities in the national legislation program uh, earlier this year, uh, but now it has been removed from the list. Uh, so uh, it is unlikely that the law will be issued by the end of this year. Um, in terms of what changes the new law would bring about, uh, this focused on several matters like uh, major control, uh, cartel leniency, uh, extension of penalties, and improving the enforcement uh, power of the KTPU. Um, on major control, uh, the main change would be shifting uh, the current mandatory post-merger notification regime to a pre-merger notification regime. Uh, the main concern with this change is whether the KPPU has sufficient resources to review merger filing in a timely manner. Uh, the current merger filing process can take uh, almost two years to complete. And one of the main reasons of such prolonged process is that KPPU has a limited team with a high turnover rate. Uh, the KPPU budget for 2020 has been slightly decreased, uh, while the cases handled by KPPU keep increasing every year. So uh, we are hoping that KPPU would be able to tackle this issue when the pre-merger notification system is introduced. Um, the new law will also include a requirement to submit merger filing for asset acquisition and incorporation of uh, joint ventures. Yeah? Uh, however, the concept of joint control and the threshold of control for a minority shareholder is still not elaborated in the draft law. Based on the current draft, uh, the threshold for merger filing in the draft new law will not change. Uh, the draft new law will also uh, introduce uh, a cartel leniency system 
for the first time. Uh, currently, a similar concept is mentioned in the KPPU guideline on cartels with very limited elaboration. Uh, the draft new law includes a power for the KTPU to accept applications for leniency and general requirements on how the leniency can be applied. For example, the first applicant will be given full amnesty, uh, the second one will have a 50% reduction of penalty, and the third one will have a 30% reduction of penalty. Um, on the other hand, uh, the current draft removes earlier provisions to give the KPPU powers to conduct down rates, which were very controversial among the business community. Lastly, the draft new law also contained a provision for a maximum penalty for violations uh, of 25% of the total turnover during the period of infringement. Uh, unfortunately, the draft new law does not clarify on whether the total turnover river, uh, refers to what was turnover or only turnover in Indonesia. Hmm. Thank you, Yuki. So still quite a lot to be worked out there. It's very interesting. Um, what about the new merger control guidelines that you mentioned? Are there any really noteworthy developments in those? Yeah, yeah, yes, they are. Uh, one is that the guideline provides clarity on what type of asset uh, acquisition are subject to notification. As I mentioned earlier, uh, the merger control regulation introduced a requirement to notify asset acquisitions, although the legal, although the legal basis for this uh, is uncertain. This is why it is expressed explicitly provided for in the draft new law. The impetus for this came from the Grab uh, and Uber, uh, Uber transaction, which the KPPU did not have the authority to review because it was structured as an asset acquisition. Uh, in principle, uh, any asset acquisition, uh, however large or small, could be caught by the notification requirement if the relevant filing threshold were met by the parties. Under the new merger control guidelines, there are now extensions for assets acquisition that is not required to be subject to merger filing requirements. For example, the transaction is valued at less than 250 billion rupiah, uh, around 17 million US dollars, uh, or 10 times that amount where the purchaser is a financial institution. Similarly, a filing is not required where the asset transfer is in the ordinary course of business, such as the supply of goods. This is a good confirmation from uh, the new merger control guidelines. Some interesting items under the new merger control guidelines. Uh, the new merger control guidelines now confirms that the asset acquisition that may be subject to merger control filing will include the acquisition of intangible assets covering trademarks, copyright, patents, licenses, uh, sales of data, consumers' data, and also big data. This is also a new confirmation uh, in the new merger control uh, guideline. Uh, the new guideline also now confirms that 
the meaning of acquisition uh, that may be subject to merger control filing requirement includes the acquisition of participating interest, which term is normally used in the, uh, oil and gas production and exploration activities. Again, this is new under the merger control filing regime. Uh, there are also developments in relation to shares acquisition under the new merger guidelines. Uh, existing regulation set out a definition of acquisition that, it's, uh, that may be subject to merger control notification requirement as an acquisition that was limited to acquisition of shares. Now, the new guideline clarify that the acquisition that may be subject to merger control filing requirement will not only be limited to acquisition of shares, but it will also cover acquisition of instruments that have similar characteristics with shares. Under the new guideline, uh, the instrument that have similar characteristics with shares means instrument that has value to control the target company and receive benefits from the target company so that if a person acquire those instruments, such person will be a new controller in the target company. As there is a new controller in the target company, such acquisition of the instrument that has similar characteristics with shares may be subject to merger control filing requirements. From the broad description of the instruments that have similar characteristics with shares, as mentioned above, a question now whether those may cover instruments such as convertible bonds or exchangeable bonds if such instruments contain rights to control the target as if it is a shareholder in the target company. In practice, rights to control the target company includes the right to appoint executive members uh, or have affirmative votes or veto in certain decisions in relation to business plan in the target uh, company. Uh, this will need to be clarified further. On the uh, criteria uh, for foreign to foreign transaction, this is quite important, the previous merger control regulation only required a filing where both parties to a transaction had a presence sales or asset in Indonesia. In the new merger control regulations, the KPPU extend the scope of its review to include foreign transactions whereby only one party has a presence in Indonesia. As you can imagine, this uh, new requirement combined with the use of a worldwide asset value-based threshold means that filing can now easily be triggered even uh, for transactions which is uh, in reality, are unlikely to influence the Indonesian market. Not surprisingly, the TPPU has received criticism because of this. Now, the new merger guidelines provide new criteria for foreign to foreign transactions, which is the transaction must have an impact on the Indonesian domestic market. Unfortunately, the guidelines do not provide criteria on when a transaction is considered as not having uh, any impact on the Indonesian domestic market. The guideline only mentions an example that a transaction will be considered as having an impact if one party undertakes 
business activities in Indonesia and the other party does not undertake business in, the, uh, uh, in Indonesia but has a sister company that undertakes activities in Indonesia that is sufficient to consider that such transaction will have an impact on Indonesian market and therefore may be subject to merger control filing requirements. The new guideline also introduced a simplified, uh, a simplified procedures for uh, evaluation of M&A transactions that do not have significant uh, impact to Indonesian market. This is a good development under the current regime. Thank you, Yuki. I'd agree with that. Um, there's a lot of changes uh, that have just come into force through these new guidelines. Um, we are writing an e-bulletin about it, so if anybody wants to know more, please get in touch with us um, and, and certainly take a look um, at, at that e-bulletin. Turning to the KPPU itself, you mentioned earlier that it's one of the most active regulators in Southeast Asia, and that's certainly uh, my view too. Have there been any particular trends in the way that it's been enforcing the law? Uh, yes, it has continued to be a very active regulator. Uh, for the past three years, there has been a significant increase in sanctions imposed for late, uh, for late merger control filing. Uh, currently, the Indonesian merger regulation requires mandatory post-merger filing to be made within 30 business uh, days from completions of the relevant transactions. Failure to submit a merger filing within the deadline is potentially subject to a fine of 1 billion rupiah, uh, approximately 65,000 US dollars per day of the delay with a maximum of 25 billion rupiah. Since the merger control regime was first introduced in 2010, there have been 34 late filing cases. Almost two-thirds of these decisions were issued uh, under the current commissioners who were appointed in April 2018. So the current commissioners seem very serious in pursuing late filing cases. On merger filing review process, for the past year, the KPPU has been quite active in progressing merger filing in an effort to speed up the merger review process. This is still the case, even now, despite movement restrictions due to COVID-19. Uh, I actually think KPP officials are much more responsive while they are working from home. Um, in terms of enforcement priorities, uh, historically, the KPPU has tended to focus on strategic sectors such as oil and gas, banking, and other business, which directly affects Customers such as foods, commodities, and automotive sector. Currently, KPPU is also focusing its monitoring efforts on the digital economy sectors, such as rat hailing, digital media, and also e-commerce. For example, the KPPU recently issued a decision on discriminatory practices against Grab for applying different treatment between independent drivers and drivers who are affiliated with Grab subsidiary. The KPPU is also reportedly scrutinizing exclusivity arrangements applied by various fintech players. Thank you, Yuki. 
I mean, it sounds like there really is a lot going on with the KPPU and the competition law regime in Indonesia in general at the moment. So companies with business operations there, I think, would do well to keep monitoring developments quite closely. Now, that's all we've got time for today, but there will be no... So there will be no doubt be more to talk about in the future. Uh, but if any listeners have any questions now, please do get in touch with us. So thank you very much for listening today, and we look forward to having you join us for another episode soon. <laughs>